It's Tuesday, April 4th, 2023 from Peachfish Productions. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. I think today it became official. Donald Trump became the most paid attention to person in the history of the world. Uh, probably goes Jesus, Trump, Hitler, Hitler, Jesus, Trump. So the three of them in some order. Today, of course, there are 7 billion people in the world. They all know Donald Trump. They all think a lot about Donald Trump. When Hitler was Hitlering, there were only 2 billion people of the world. When he was done Hitlering, it was more like 1.93 billion people. Thanks, Hitler. But I don't mean known, just know. That, that's not my definition of paid attention to. I mean in our consciousness. Jesus, sure, there's Jesus. Got to call Jesus the goat of getting paid attention to. But think about the actual person Jesus really existed. Mostly we pay attention to the biblical idea of Jesus as processed through Aramaic and Greek and a couple hundred years of rewriting and interpretation. A little bit same with Shakespeare. Someone wrote those plays or really thinking of the person of Shakespeare. And not to be sacrilegious, but can we say that the Jesus we pay attention to is actually the real person? With Trump, this is the real guy. I'm not saying he's a genuine or truthful guy, but we're paying attention not to a misinterpretation of Trump. We're paying attention to Trump. Our mind share, the man hours and women hours spent in contemplation of this one person, Donald Trump, the cumulative human seconds of consciousness spent on him, I think are unrivaled. And today might just have been the day that thrust him into the lead for good. Sorry, Muhammad Ali, Frank Sinatra, Xerxes, Julius Caesar, the most paid attention to human in the history of minds is squandering a lot of our attention. I will give you that. But that is part of the reason we pay attention, because it's also ridiculous and unbelievable and unprecedented and historic. It's all either shameful judicial overreach or brave accountability. Or, in a somewhat last grand framing today by Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg, it's a bold commitment to the sanctity of business records. We have a distinct and strong, I would say profound, independent interest in New York State. This is the business capital of the world. Uh, We regularly uh, do cases involving false business statements. the, 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 the bedrock, in fact, the basis for uh, business integrity and a well-functioning business marketplace is true and accurate record-keeping. That's the charge that's brought here, falsifying New York State business records. Huh. I thought maybe Trump was intent on shredding the Constitution. Turns out his oppositional relationship is more towards Intuit QuickBooks. Now there, my friends, is a novel legal theory. On the show today, I take you through the day, well up until I had to leave for my 6 p.m. teeth whitening. But first, comedian Mike Kaplan is back. He's out with a new album live in between albums, recorded in 2018. We get into some concepts on the album and the concept of concept albums or comedic performances that are supposed to add up to thematic holes. Mike, M-Y-Q, Mike Kaplan, up next.
We're joined once more by comic Mike Kaplan to talk about his new album, Live Between Albums, before he leaves for Scotland to perform in the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I started by asking about this trend in comedy, which is organizing comedy sets along narrative as much as comedic lines. So therefore, you will hear, I start with this extremely long framing of the question, really helps elicit a very funny answer. You're welcome. I don't know if this is a good or bad thing, but you have certainly noticed that in the last, I don't know, 10 years, there's been more of a valorization of the idea that comedy shows should have an arc and should be perhaps one person shows with a lot of jokes in between. And there is some debate, is that comedy, is that not? I'm not interested in that. One analogy could be, this is a little like music in the 70s and the idea of the concept album. Did that advance music? It was good to have that as an outlet, but you could certainly do uh, an album with 12 different songs and the White Stripes do, and they're not all about one thing. So it doesn't hurt the overall type of music. But another analogy would be if you know we steer comedy in this direction where we cast off what comedy was, it might be like movies just totally ignoring the institution of the short, you know? Like so many funny films in the silent era were of a length that just doesn't make sense to us today. Anyway, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, for good or ill? I know how you use it is you have both kinds of albums, but noticing how comedy has changed and how there's more of an emphasis on um, whole shows that mean something, do you think that it is. It, might it have a beneficial or might it have um, a long-lasting effect on the art form itself? That's a, a fine question. What if I said, no, I have no thoughts? Uh-huh. Uh, well, yeah. you could quote the Dalai Lama again. <laughs> no, this one, this one I know so much stuff. Um, the answer about comedy at large is I don't know. Yes. Uh, I do think that more, more impactful in some ways to comedy right now is like the too short form, like the clips, the, the TikTok, you know, the crowd work videos, the, which I mean, I think there's, I've, I've released some, they're fun, but I don't know how this is going to like train comedy audiences to like, if you've never like seeing a live comedy show is a beautiful thing, whether it's an hour of a comedian or, you know, uh, six 15-minute uh, showcase sets. Like, people who are honing their act and, you know, you know, really, like, care about the craft and are sharing something unique that nobody else can share. And it's just, it's a completely different thing. It's like, you know, I feel like a lot of people are using clips to help people know about their shows. Right. And, and there's some people who are using clips as an art form in its own, but there's definitely people that are like, this is a commercial for my live show. Come see my live show. Right, right. And if half the comedy that we experience via TikTok is labeled uh, comedian roasts heckler, how will the audience know to act if not for the other half of that equation? They'll be the heckler. Yeah. yeah. Th- there was a time years ago I was doing a, a show at a club where – a guy was, it was a company party. It was just 30 people who knew each other. And one guy was like peppering every- Not even a, not even a a ongoing business company, just a company, a company of people, people who knew each other. Yeah, two's two's company, it was just two people. And uh, yeah, hardly even a crowd. So you went and knocked on their door. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And this guy, you know, inserted something into everybody's act that was undesired. And at a point, I don't remember what I said to him when he interrupted me, but I said something and it made everyone laugh, theoretically at, you know, at the thing that I said, at him, like the message being like, please stop. 
And he's and he said uh, to that he didn't stop. He was like, well, look, if I hadn't done what I'd done, then you wouldn't have gotten that laugh right now. And I'm like, and also, we don't know what I would have said with all the time that you've wasted, all the time that people have been addressing to you. Comedians might have been sharing something more meaningful, more substantial. Right. Fun. I mean, there's a beauty too in the moment. Like I do like a good heckler story after the fact, but looking forward to it, I'm like, I'd wish there were none. So the new special, which we have established, is only in between albums, not as a theoretical and hopeful proposition, but literally it dropped in between albums in the past. It inspired not just questions, but questions about many of the topics you brought up. So I would like to ask you a few of these questions. I think a title of this, even though it was uh, about being in between albums, could have been jokes about jokes. At least two thirds of the jokes are about the jokes (laughs) and about jokes. That I think that I think that that's very apt. I do. Here's a a story about that. Um, There are two other comedian friends of mine who I love a lot. Ramin Nazer and Nick Vatterot, both fantastic. Nick, actually, his first album for amusement only features throughout it. Uh, He does live at the show. Uh, He has a recording of or he I I don't know how he did it, but he does director's commentary throughout his own live show throughout the whole show. And it's fantastic commenting on the thing that he's doing while he's doing the thing. Ramin in a late his first late night set that I saw on Craig Ferguson years ago, which I led me to reach out to him and we became friends also had like self-referential jokes, meta things, comedy about comedy. And like, you know, for you can enjoy the jokes uh, even if you don't know anything about comedy. But if you know about comedy, you'll get like more uh, more reward as an insider. And so I remember sharing uh, with a friend once. I was like, oh, you haven't seen Nick Vatterat? Oh, you haven't seen Ramin? You should check out these videos. And this friend was like, you know, I feel like what they're doing is kind of like you do a similar thing like of you know commenting on the thing so when you're telling me you like these guys you're basically telling me you like yourself i'd like to validate one of my major <laughs> themes of my work yes and so yes the that- others externally validate <laughs> them, yes. so yes i i absolutely like that the show in particular that became this album uh was only one show and it was uh, recorded with in mind to get out these specific jokes, like throughout an hour or so. Like there's a, I had a piece of paper on stage that I was like, I want to make sure that I do all of these jokes. But also I feel like that was the plan. And then the commenting on the jokes was usually the deviation from the plan in the moment as it occurred. And, you know, if people didn't laugh, I wouldn't have included it. So. One joke you have, and this does not give away any of the joke at all, you talk about uh, going to a burrito restaurant, you ordered the burrito bowl. And you don't go there where I'm going to go, but why is it even called, except for the fact that it's a burrito restaurant, a burrito bowl? The the most fundamental element of the burrito seems to me to be the tortilla. And this would be like going to an Italian restaurant and calling spaghetti and meatballs, if you just get the meatball, the spaghetti and meatball plate like without the, spaghetti the garfield minus garfield yeah yeah exactly which you know is really good and uh philosophical but then i was further thinking it's very complicated because other than the burrito bowl the other big mexican food that comes in a bowl is the taco bowl but the taco bowl is actually a bowl made out of tacos oh yes but the burrito bowl never is I don't understand why we as consumers of this food uh, have accepted it for so long. What do you propose? Do you think that we should refuse, we should be boycotting the burrito bowl until they rename it? The burrito less bowl. Oh, the burrito less bowl. The burrito less bowl. We've taken the burrito out of your life. Well, you know, I 
I think I I'm on your side, and if you open a burrito less restaurant, yeah. I will I will it'll uh, be sushi patronize it. <laughs> uh, there is a place that's how called... committed I am to burrito listness. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Afghan that, food. <laughs> that is a fantastic question, and I it does speak to me deeply. Um, also, you know, here's here's a related thing. Uh, I, I am a plant-based eater, as you may know, and so when I eat a burger, it will be a veggie burger. I'm still aware of the existence of hamburgers, which are uh, so named for the city of Hamburg, Germany, but I think coincidentally have the word ham in them, which is has nothing to do, like maybe some restaurants get cute and they're like, have our capital H-A-M burger and that has ham on it. Yeah, which uh, is just their heart as a motherfucker burger. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so, and, but then the thi- it's such an interesting thing that happens linguistically that, oh, wh- wh- they're like, burger, that's the thing. So now it's a hamburger, it's a cheeseburger, it's a veggie burger, which a cheeseburger is a hamburger with cheese on it. A veggie burger is a burger made of cheese you could go the other way. A veggie what? burger could be a burger with veggies on it, and a cheeseburger could be a burger made of cheese. They aren't. Language doesn't work just logically, uh, as you may know from uh, from life. But uh, do you know Dan Ariely, who wrote Predictably Irrational? I yes. feel like linguistics. F- famous, famous Israeli psychiatrist. Yes. Absolutely. And so I feel like that's what's happening. That's what happened with the burrito list bowl. It might be, in fact, that the first person to be like, oh, what if somebody doesn't want the tortilla? We're going to call it the burrito-less bowl. But just that's harder to say. It's more syllables. It's more letters on the sign. They're like, they'll get it when it's just burrito bowl. Like, they're not a no, at least when they first order it. If they're like, well, yeah, I'd like a burrito in a bowl instead of a plate. Like, you know, we... We now know it does the job of language, which is to communicate what it is like. It doesn't even to this point. You know, I think that uh, Gary Goleman has done wonderful jokes about the the shift of the meaning of literally uh, wonderful, I think, in the Great Depression. And but that is what has happened. And like as much as we, you know, we old old men and old, old people, you know, Everyone who speaks language, like language will shift over time. And it, then the new thing when people are like, yeah, that sounds fine to me because that's just how it works. Like we're not speaking like Shakespeare did. We're not speaking like Chaucer did. Because Do you know that apron and napkin used to be? Napron and Apkin. No. And, and it shifted. It used to be an Apkin. It was a trade. Yeah. And a Napron. And just over the course. And peas used to be a mass noun like maize. It used to be like it, the but, way that we say one pea and yeah. several peas, it would be as if saying in the past one May and several Mays. Like yes. kernels of maize. Which gets us to why is the month May even ab- abbreviated? <laughs> who's helping who? <laughs> but I need to ask you though about, uh, we talk about impossible burgers which is if if a veggie burger is made of veggies Mm -hmm. and a salmon burger is made of salmon and don't get me started on salmon burgers and salmon steaks right one is not a steak made of salmon the other is a burger shaped like salmon what is it is an impossible burger made of impossible uh at a certain point that's just and then there's beyond burger uh which i think we need to get to right now Uh, yeah i'm i'm happy (laughs) (laughs) I, i will just say this that uh impossible burger i guess is made of impossible which how do they do that it's impossible. <laughs> I can't explain it. Also, real quick, a funny thing that my mom for a while, when uh, also now vegetarian, uh, started getting into the Impossible and Beyond Burgers. But for a little while, like the names are kind of similar. And yeah. she's like, I, 
she would call them the Marvelous and Fantastic Burgers. <laughs> I love the Marvelous Mrs. Fantastic Burger. Absolutely. By the way, of all the substances on Earth to be a Beyond Burger, the one thing it shouldn't be is that. It should be every other food is Beyond Burger. Your entire diet is Beyond Burger, is it not? Uh, in a way, other than Veggie Burger. But also, I'll say this, uh, I, I think maybe alluding to another joke on the album, but truly, uh, the everything bagel. Uh, I'd like to ask you about this. Yeah, please. <laughs> well, go ahead. Yeah, well, the certainly. Uh, I mean, many jokes have been made about like everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, we've got poppy. We've got sesame. We've got onion. Everything. <laughs> uh, of course, like, you know, people are un like it was uh, the marketing team that was like, oh, tell them it's everything. They'll, then they're going to buy it. And then they'll also buy it for the people that are like, that's a everything's a little too much. Can I just get raisin, please? Yeah. I mean, it and it's funny because the everything bagel doesn't even have everything that could be on standard bagels. Like yeah. the everything bagel, no raisin. It's right next to the cinnamon raisin and it doesn't have either of those. Yes. Exactly. And by the way, this is just since your everything bagel joke is more of a conceptual philosophical joke. Yes. If you have a bagel store, can you truly said to have run out of everything bagels if you have all the other bagels in stock? Uh, a fine question. I mean, I do, of course, call the plain bagels nothing bagels. So mm -hmm. I do think... Beyond uh, bagels. I mean, it's all <laughs> relative. Here's an idea I have for another, an album or an hour, a, a concept in the future is a concept that I call, you're familiar with astrology. And the a thing about astrology is that sometimes a person might learn, oh, you were born in this month, so maybe that tells me things about you and like that's a you know very rudimentary description but i mean let, it's, it's really accurate okay. also <laughs> and and so but you know i don't want to do a disservice i'm no astronomy expert my girlfriend right. is and I'm, yeah. I'm happy to have her help on this project of uh not taking down astro astrology but just help i mean because she's classic gemini and i and do <laughs> i do think that astrology and like astrophysics or sci physics in general science in general have the same goals of being like well, if you knew literally where every molecule in the universe was, then you could make predictions about what would happen next and mm -hmm. what would go on in the world. And that is, you know, that is the claim that astrology might make. And it is a claim that science makes theoretically that like, oh, yeah, if you knew where everything was and you knew which way it was going and the tra 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 uh, trajectories, that's the one, uh, and the speeds and the locations, they'd be like, oh, yeah, well, then next moment it's this. Next moment it's this. And the thing that we do, I think I'm using astrology as like a metaphor for the way we uh, do things in life is to uh, we're pattern seekers. You know, we're categor we're categorizers as yes. humans because it's helpful. It's helpful to be like, oh, yeah, yesterday this happened today, th right. the day before. Maybe it'll happen today. See the thing that looks like a tiger ate my friend. See the thing that looks like a tiger ate my friend. Next time I see the thing look like a tiger, I'm going to push my friend a little. Exactly. Beyond me. Yeah. And so we do that. And like a lot of our discomfort arises when the thing that we expect is not what happens. The thing that we think should be even about our own identity. Like, oh, I thought I was like I met a, a woman in college. She says she didn't like cream cheese i saw her eating a uh carrot cake with cream cheese frosting and i said oh did you, you i thought you don't like cream cheese she's like i don't i'm like did you know that's cream cheese frosting she's like oh then i guess i don't like this and i feel like that <laughs> is a weird way to go on that exactly yeah. but that we all do things like that <laughs> yeah. in a way and like i'm sure that i've done things like that we're like oh i was mistaken i thought right there's a thing in here that i don't like instead of reframing and being like i guess there's a circumstance in which i like right. this thing we have these set ideas of ourselves of the people in our lives of the, the places primacy of the rule versus the exception yeah yes. like i've driven around my my old where i grew up with my mom and she's pointing at like that was this was never that like this used to be and like we have because 
There's a quote by poet Robert Haas. Uh, I think, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, only seen it written. It's Robert, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Robert. Ro- Robert. Robert Haas, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he says, uh, repetition makes us feel secure, variation makes us feel free. And I think that those are both, you know, sort of uh, aligned with as well the the orchestral symphony of a comedy performance or the jazz improvisational one. Like, the variation helps us feel free. The uh, repetition helps us feel secure. That's the plan, and that's the deviation. And that's what's happening uh in our lives, we want comfort. We want things to be stable and secure, but we don't want too much because then you're, you know, then you're essentially right. in a prison of a kind. Right. Uh, if you you go to the same place every day, you do the same things every day, you work at the same job every day, you got to have a little variety. If you have too much variety, you're like, you have no stability. You're like, I got to, I got to have some practice every day that I do. So I truly think if you're, if most of your days are the same, do something different every day, at least one thing. If most of your days are different, do something the same, like have a meditation practice, have a writing practice, have a, a call with a person, what Whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, so I think that that is what's happening uh, with the Everything Bagel somehow. <laughs> um, one last thing to ask about on the album. It's one of the last tracks on the album, and it's about kids and heckling. And my main question is, when you listen to it now, and it's a bit from 2018, do you remember the reality of the bit, or do you remember the reality of the underlying circumstance and what actually happened? A great question, and uh, I have a very specific answer that, at le- with that specific bit, I remember uh, recording it, and then... The, over the years, I think about the little girl yes. who, who heckled me. Yeah. And it was at a particular show. I forget how much I talk about it on the album because I haven't listened to it uh, fully uh, that recently. But uh, I remember this little girl would uh, tell jokes as well. And I remember that girl is so funny. And I remembered her name being Lola. Yeah. And I believe when I listened back to it at one point, I found out that her name was Layla. Yeah. And... And I, so I actually don't remember. I remember that I remembered it wrong. I know that I remembered it wrong. So clearly uh, the answer is neither. I was neither remembering the performance correctly, <laughs> nor was I remembering the original experience correctly, which I think is what's going on for all of us. Like even for obviously the way that memory works is like uh, my girlfriend, but it like a game of telephone that, you know, we're like, oh, yeah, remember the thing that happened to you as a child. Even then, maybe you remember your parents telling you about it. But whatever it is, right. I have that memory of that thing that happened like uh, when I was in that pool and that bee came nearby. And well, like, that's. That, yeah, that's one reason why I take pictures on the phone, not to capture or preserve memories, but actually to make them. It is We remember the things that we took pictures of because we remember the pictures. And that, that's another uh, thing where I feel like the, you know, the Buddhist concept of the middle path is valuable because if you are constantly taking pictures to make sure yeah. that you remember everything, you will have a life that is not very much worth remembering. And if you're, so if you're taking no pictures, maybe you'll remember nothing. Maybe you'll just be in the moment the whole time and that'll be fine. If you take only pictures, then I, I would say error on, err on the side of yes. a fewer pictures, yes. but, but somewhere there's a Goldilocks level. So your memory of the kids in the th- last third of that joke, the brother who was heckling the other brother. There were these two little brothers at one point. Uh, one of them was on stage and the other one would keep yelling things through his brother's joke. What do you remember about that? Ah, uh, I remember. Do you remember that, the parents who said no? Let him take the. Let him say the joke. I I, I remember that that was a thing, but yeah. I I cannot construct it any further. Well, it was me. Zero, because I'm 
many? Zero. We screwed up jokes, not light bulbs. <laughs> we were in the cave. We were in the cave in the creek. Wow. It was my son Milo. Ah. You got that right. And my other son, who you call Emil, maybe for purposes of the joke, that's Emmett, who I just showed you the picture of. Oh my that god! Literally, that's... was me. And I was just listening to that. I'm like, I played it for my wife, and she was like, "Oh, that's really, really, really crazy." Ha ha ha! That is so fun. I I I think my my goal is to never make something up. Yeah. Like, uh, unless I'm, I don't want the audience to, if I'm making something up, I want them to know it. There's no lies yeah. in that joke. Yeah. Everything is as happened. But at one point you say, I forgot the kid's name and then it became a meal. And then that reminded you something of the similarity with Milo. And then you get into Liam is like Milo, which is so weird because when uh, Milo's best friend is Liam and I introduced them and I said, your names are just one letter apart. So yeah, it's the same deal. Oh, that is, what a, what a beautiful <laughs> story about me that you just told me. Like that's, uh, that's, that's why friendship is good. Uh, I'm so glad you were there and that happened. And that's now, now, yes, of course now that, but yeah, I'm so glad that I also misremembered it. So it made a better joke, but, uh, but also now when you tell people about this going forward and you'll tell them about how your friend reminded you of that, your friend, Zach Sherwin. Yes, of course. It was <laughs> Zach there with his two children. I forget who their names are, but uh, he doesn't have them yet. Uh, that is, <laughs> yeah, all my friends are, you know, it's funny. I have uh, another friend. I guess uh, I think it's fine to say his last na his last name his first name is Zach and his last name is Minor uh -huh. and he is a Zach who's also in my life and so I sometimes call Zach Sherwin Zach Major. Yes, yeah. <laughs> better than you know uh, B flat or specific keys in major or minor notes. Absolutely, Z Zach augmented. Yeah, mm. Mike Kaplan's new album, which is his old album, but it's also <laughs> an interregnum of an album, is called Live in Between Albums. Fantastic jokes, fantastic conversation. Love Thank it. you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Oh, Oh, we should also mention Mike, you know, when you're looking for it is MYQ. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we always need to mention. That. Thank you again. Thank you. And now the spiel. The arraignment of Donald Trump was the kind of made-for-TV spectacular that brings us all together to celebrate just how at each other's throats we are. Lower Manhattan today was a zoo. No, wait, it was a circus. And like zoos and circuses, there are often protesters outside. That was the reaction, well, among the reactions, to the presence of a U.S. congressman at the proceedings. Adding to the dignity of that office and institution was the Honorable George Santos, who briskly walked through the streets near the courtroom, acquiring, then shedding differing gaggles of reporters, protesters, looky-loos, and followers of Q. The New York residents among them acted with the decorum Representative Santos deserved. Marjorie Taylor Greene was there, too. Why, like flies drawn to rotting offal, so too will M.T. Green, beneficiary and poisoner of the attention economy, show up at any event with calls to jail a politician. Like Beetlejuice, she can be conjured any time a former president says witch hunt three times. She spoke to reporter Brian Glenn of RSBN, which is a regional sports network carrying Colorado Rockies home games. No, wait, I'm being told it's the right side broadcasting network. Here was MT Green making her case. President Trump is joining some of the most incredible people in history being arrested today. Um, Nelson Mandela was arrested, served time in prison. Jesus, Jesus was arrested. 
Also, Ted Bundy, Al Capone, Adolf Eichmann, L. Ron Hubbard, a lot of people have been arrested. Screaming at M.T. Green's car as it drove away was a man who identified himself and looked exactly like New York Congressman Jamal Bowman. Marjorie Taylor Greene needs to take her ass back to Washington and do something about gun violence. Do something about affordable housing. Do something about childhood poverty. Do something about climate change. Do your freaking job, Marjorie Taylor Greene. You'll need to be in New York City talking that nonsense. Go back to your district. It was, in fact, Jamal Bowman, because attention is a currency which compels one to beg, borrow, or steal to get it. Soon thereafter, Anderson Cooper of CNN reported. So at this moment at 1.24 p.m. Eastern Time, Donald J. Trump is under arrest. And an hour and five minutes later, Donald Trump was seen entering the courtroom. CNN's Van Jones offered this titanic metaphor. People go to court every day in this country. And they face prosecutors that I think sometimes are too tough and too mean, uh, and they do the best that they can. And that's what's happening here. And it's, uh, it's a sobering moment, uh, I'm sure, for his family. Uh, I'm sure for people who have worked for him and for the whole world. But uh, this, is, this is someone who has played at the edges of lawlessness his whole career. And the ice, in this case, has broken under him. Throughout the day, news pundits offered up words of solemnity and seriousness befitting the history of the moment. There is, after all, a multi-year jail term on the table, but shots of outside the court and the clamoring on the streets depicted a carnival of protesters and a wealth of TV reporters who were positively tweaking amidst the hubbub. This was Ron Allen on MSNBC. When you talk to the Trump people, they echo the things that the president has said about how he can't get a fair trial, how this is such a democratic city, and they think they're here to support him. On the other side, of course, uh, they think that an indictment is long overdue. And in addition to the Republican uh, officials who have shown up here, George Santos as well as Marjorie Taylor Greene, on the other side, there have been a number of Democratic politicians from New York who are here to also show their support for Alan, Alvin Bragg, the DA, who received a number of death threats uh, along with his staff. To, and they're here to uphold the honor, if you will, of the New York justice system. So, again, it's, it's getting louder and louder. Screamingly loud, in all caps, in fact, were Trump's pre-hearing postings on Truth Social which included an insult of the judge and a request for a change of venue. Very unfair venue with some areas that voted 1% Republican. This case should be moved to nearby Staten Island, would be a very fair and secure location for the trial. Additionally, the highly partisan judge and his family are well-known Trump haters, Trump tweeted. Sorry, truthed. Yesterday, however, on this week, Trump lawyer Joe Tacopina dismissed a move to Staten Island is just bizarrely premature. Bloomberg is reporting that your team may seek to move the trial to Staten Island. Is that on the table? No, that, I mean, here's what's on the table. Everything's on the table. Um, I, I read that article and I, I chuckled. I mean, there's been no discussion of that whatsoever. A change of venue was not raised in the court today. Prosecutors did express concern about Trump's posting a picture of himself swinging a baseball bat cropped up next to an image of Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg about Trump's mention of the judge's family. Judge Mershan is described as no-nonsense, perhaps a poor fit given the defendant's propensity for nonsense. 
The judge did say a gag order would be going too far, but warned the defense team against further escalatory rhetoric. After nearly an hour in the court, long for a booking hearing, Trump left the courthouse. As of this recording, he is still planning to speak from Mar-a-Lago, a speech where the nonsense content will probably be best described as something other than non. Trump left the courthouse, ducked into a limo, drove to the airport, and flew away to Mar-a-Lago. Soon thereafter, Manhattan DA Bragg conducted a brief press conference where he cited the 34 felony counts in the indictment detailing falsified business records and falsified statements, and then Bragg asked and answered this rhetorical question. Why did Donald Trump repeatedly make these false statements? The evidence will show that he did so to cover up crimes relating to the 2016 election. Donald Trump, executives at the publishing company American Media Incorporated, Mr. Cohen, and others agreed in 2015 to a catch-and-kill scheme. That is, a scheme to buy and suppress negative information to help Mr. Trump's chance of winning the election. This was quite a day. It might be the most raucous, chaotic day for a while, an environment in which Donald Trump thrives. But in considering what led to this cacophony of distraction, this screaming expression of anger, anguish, and ardency, think of this two-word phrase, hush money. All this noise is about hush money, or the incompetent attempt at hush money. Trump's efforts to pay off Stormy Daniels is an absolute classic Trump initiative in that it is pathetically short on efficacy, but extremely long in its ability to garner attention. And we'll all be paying attention. We can't help but to pay attention. All of us, the citizenry, the judge, perhaps a jury, the defendant, the prosecutor, perhaps other prosecutors, The circus came to town today, and now we can't escape. And that's it for today's show. Corey War is the producer of The Gist, and Joel Patterson's the senior producer. Michelle Pesca runs all of the philanthropy division at Peachfish Productions. The Gist is presented in collaboration with Libsyn's AdvertiseCast. For advertising inquiries, go to AdvertiseCast.com slash The Gist. Oomperoo, jeeperoo, dooperoo, and thanks for listening.